Welcome to episode 38 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is Angel Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And I wanna talk about earnings. So on Thursday of this week, Nokia and T-Mobile reported earnings. Uh, T-Mobile blew it out. They reported their best year ever, nearly 70 billion in revenue for the year and 5.5 million net subscriber ads. Um, they also reported uh, that they had the lowest churn um, in the industry as well. So uh, the Magenta is firing on all cylinders. What are your thoughts? Um, well, it's the first year that T-Mobile was a combined entity with Sprint. Um, and I think realistically, that was we only saw about half of a year of that combined entity. And even so, I don't think we've even remotely come to realize the uh, efficiencies of scale um, that combining Sprint and T-Mobile would enable. So right. I actually believe that long-term uh, into uh, that their T-Mobile's profitability will actually increase, especially over the course of this year. Um, and as they start to roll out 2.5, I think they'll be able to actually support more customers and improve the network experience as they add more customers. So I think it's gonna be very interesting for this year. I think this is probably gonna be their best year. Um, last year, you know, there was COVID and a lot of other factors. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that 2021 is probably gonna be the best year they've ever had. And it's gonna blow out even a blowout year that they had last year. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised, but you know, I'm also intrigued that um, they didn't really report any softness related to COVID. Um, you know, certainly Verizon saw that that manifest in AT&T to a lesser extent. So, um, you know, their value prop remains strong. Their their focus on 5G. I think you and I have talked about this before. It is definitely the most balanced. Um, we will see Verizon and AT&T catch up with those mid-band spectrum assets that they acquired through C-band, but that will take some time. But let's shift to, uh, to Nokia. You know, Nokia has been, they've had their challenges. They've had their ups and downs. They have a new CEO now. They reported, as well as T-Mobile, 4Q and full year. You know, I was impressed. Their margins were quite healthy. Mm -hmm. So they rebounded somewhat. Um, they stated that's bolstered by 5G. No surprise right. there. Cash flow looked really good from my perspective when I looked at their financials. And enterprise continues to be a strong um, um, area of growth for them. They saw double-digit growth. Um, that's the group that is focused on private networking deployments. Um, they now claim that the number of customers that are deploying multiple private networks with Nokia gear is uh, over 260. So, um, you know, from, you know, from the traditional infrastructure uh, perspective, um, they're certainly leaders. So I, I saw a lot of positive things in the earnings. What are, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's a lot of positivity about Nokia. I think it was kind of funny that um, this whole short selling, you know, Wall Street bets stock situation happened just in their days running up to Nokia's earnings. Which affected um, them somewhat, right? Which did affect them, yeah, because their stock was up to, uh, it hit as high as 655, mm -hmm. uh, and now it's down to 430, but that's still higher than it was when they when we started the month. So net, net, the stock is doing better, but I'm sure it wasn't great for their investor relations uh, and their CFO having to deal with crazy swings in the stock right before earnings. 
Um, but I think fundamentally Nokia is still very good value buy as a stock um, because I think they have a very unique position in the market and they seem to be trying hard um, to, you know, rebuild the company's reputation and take advantage of 5G. And they seem to be doing that to a degree, but I just think that the constant change of management at the company is not helping. Yeah, no, it's, it's been somewhat of a revolving door. I mean, that, I think that typically happens. It's like when a, when a coach takes over a football team, you know, and, you know, they, they get an all new staff, you know, I, that with Pekka, you know, coming in, um, that was, you know, bound to happen. But I think, you know, now that he's in place and they've done some things uh, to uh, re-level the organization to provide more accountability, you know, through the business units, I think, um, They'll, they'll reap the rewards of that over time. So we'll uh, we'll definitely keep our eyes on that and we'll report back as things develop. But let's move to your first topic this week. And uh, the CTIA produced uh, a, an economic report on um, 5G's impact in the U.S. and you wanted to share some insights there. Yeah, so I actually had uh, an opportunity to speak with uh, CTIA as well as Boston Consulting Group who actually did the economic report. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really interesting because they looked at you know all these different industries and not just you know what does it how does it affect the urban areas but more importantly how does it affect agriculture and they went very granular actually you know kind of peppered them a bit with some hard questions as an analyst i understand how this data needs to be collected and analyzed yeah. so they were really good with answering my questions and i was very impressed with the fact that you know this data is granular like they are going down to the zip code and looking at how it's affecting individual zip codes and what industries are in those zip codes and what are the impacts to those industries by 5G. So mm-hmm. their findings were that 5G's impact in the US will be between 1.4 and $1.7 trillion over the next 10 years, which is mm-hmm. massive. And that it will add an additional 3.8 to 4.6 million jobs over that 10 year period. So mm-hmm. um, Obviously, the CTIA paid for this, and the CTIA is the industry lobbying group for the carriers in the U.S. So, obviously, this is something that benefits uh, the operators um, and and the industry as a whole. But in the reality, I think it's very reasonable, um, and I think the depth and detail they went into with the correct assumptions. Uh, this is a, a, a report that I can kind of vouch for based on my experience uh, with talking to them and seeing the report. Um, it's very detailed. Uh, it's extremely insightful. Um, and I'll include a link uh, in our description so you guys can take a look at it and read it for yourselves if you're interested. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you could do that. So, and this validates, you know, sort of all of the, um, you know, the excitement around, you know, the U.S. being first, you know, to, to 5G and the whole race with with China, right? I mean, the, the, the economic impact is tremendous to GDP when you look at just the numbers that you shared there, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, you know, 5G, It's there's no secret that, you know, with, within the enterprise, we're going to drive a whole host of new use cases. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to allow for, you know, uh, high degrees of factory automation and OT environments that have traditionally been underserved uh, and unconnected right. by Wi-Fi. So I was, um, what I was going to say is I actually think this report airs on the side of conservatism in the mm-hmm. sense that 
Um, they didn't really just assume that there was some killer app that just blows up 5G and makes things, you know, incredibly like this basically takes assumptions that uh, on industries we already understand and know and exist today. Yeah. So I have a feeling that it's actually going to be on the low end. Um, and that's why there's a four, you know, 1.4 to 1.7 trillion number. But I yeah. think it's very likely it could be way higher than that if there is some kind of killer use case and killer app that gets, you know, utilized that just doesn't even exist yet today. So I yeah. think it was very responsible of them. And I think it's a good report. Yeah. And I think, you know, that killer app, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's lingering out there. We don't know it yet. I mean, we know the basic, you know, we, we both talked about what we think are some of the top 5G use cases, but no one saw, and I hate to use the ride sharing analogy, but in an LTE world, no one saw what ride sharing would do to disrupt an entire industry, right? And, and food and delivery, absolutely. right? Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, it'll be exciting to see, you know, like once developers get there and they're already getting their hands, you know, on this technology, all the major carriers in the U.S. And, and around the world too have proof of concept centers where they invite in developers, you know, to to play on. You know, it was pre 5G in our test beds, and now it's you know it's real, you know, live networks, um, you know, to develop these next generation applications and use cases. So it'll it'll definitely be exciting. But let's move to my second topic this week, and I want to talk about John Deere. Um, I've talked about ag tech in the past and how I believe. Um, LTE is beginning to sort of supercharge, you know, agriculture technology and, you know, the ability to improve food yields and that sort of thing. Um, John Deere, from my perspective, I've met with them before at prior CES events. Um, they, they've been using GPS technology to automate um, the, 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 the drivability of, you know, huge combines and tractors and that sort of thing. And so it was interesting. It wasn't the C-band auction that just ended that we've talked about before, but it was actually, they bid on spectrum, uh, mid-band spectrum assets in um, the CBRS PAL auction last year. Um, they bought five tranches, uh, spent over half a million dollars with that, and they're beginning to deploy uh, 5G private networks within their manufacturing facilities. And that's just to automate, um, you know, process control and that sort of thing, improve yield and that, 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 that sort of thing as well. Um, but there's no doubt that um, they're kicking the tires on how can they go apply 5G, maybe in fixed wireless access scenarios um, to, to be able, you know, to, to drive sort of a broader ecosystem outside of their own manufacturing facility. So, you know, I think, you know, John Deere has been around for, I think it's 185 years. Um, I think they could be a real leader here um, in, in driving the adoption of 5G within agriculture. So any, any additional thoughts? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, once they get the connectivity part of things down, um, I have a strong feeling that there will probably be an angle that they leverage connectivity as a part of DRM because, you know, John Deere does have a reputation for, um, you know, having their tractors be very uh, specific to who can work on them and what parts can be used. And it'll be interesting to see if they use that um, connectivity angle as a part of, you know, how, how it gets software updates and how it, you know, recognizes new types of crops and things like that. Because these are very expensive, very, you know, intricate pieces of equipment. Oh, yeah. And it'll be very interesting to see how they leverage connectivity in the day-to-day -day use of their tractors and other farming mm -hmm. equipment. 
Yeah, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, some of these or millions, you know, big combines, millions, depending on how how large it is and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And you know, you know, I, I actually in my family, um, I have two two parts of the family that are engaged in farming and ranching, and you know, John Deere is quite expensive. And so I'm hoping that some of this, some of the goodness that sort of comes out of all of this trickles down and mm -hmm. becomes more affordable. And you know, you start thinking about IoT sensoring and that sort of thing. And that's a that's a great segue to your your second topic this week, and you you did a little bit of research and you found a pretty interesting um, IoT start, uh, startup that's focused on terrestrial and satellite. So why don't you share some of the details there? Yeah, so OmniSpace just uh, got to sorry, they just got sixty million dollars in new funding, um, and what's interesting about that is. The $60 million is specifically being used to help them grow out their satellite uh, implementation that mm -hmm. leverages a combination of satellite with terrestrial bands. So the satellite band is two gigahertz. They're calling S band, which I think may just mean satellite band. Yeah. But um, what's interesting is being able to combine satellite with some kind of low band, like let's say a 600, would really allow for um, solid coverage in places where it's just not possible mm -hmm. to have, you know, a regular, let's say, 800, 900, and above bands. And it's just, I think there's going to be opportunities for satellite to fill in gaps where terrestrial doesn't necessarily work. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it gets leveraged. You know, does it need to have a cellular anchor or not? Um, or if, if satellite's the anchor and cellular is, you know, the other carrier, um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this developed. But it's it's going to probably take some time um, because it's you know going to take time to get the satellites up and running and have enough coverage to really offer a solution. But 3GPP does have satellite as part of the standard and um, OmniSpace, is, OmniSpace is working towards, um, you know, developing that part of the standard and, and working towards making 5G connectivity part of satellite. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. We've talked about low orbit, you know, satellite in the past, and I think it's definitely going to be a part of uh, the mix here. Um, there's actually a pretty cool infographic that I shared on Twitter. So if you if you go check my feed out at, at Willtown Tech, I posted that on Thursday of this week. But uh, yeah, I could serve backhaul. It just depends, right? It's it's going to have to get launched, and it's going to have to you know you're going to have to have a density of those low orbit satellites, you know, to to, to fully realize the potential of all that. And there's certainly a lot of other companies that are um, you know vying buying for that space race. Uh, we've talked about them before, SpaceX and Hughes investment, I think in OneWeb as well. But uh, I, I think satellite is very interesting and it'll be fun to keep tabs on it. And as, as we see things develop, come back to our audience here on the G2 at 5G and share that. So well, let's, let's move to my third topic and your third topic. We're both going to talk about the Super Bowl. Go Chiefs. Okay, I'm, I'm on record I'm, of stating that I'm a Mahomes I'm with fan. You. <laughs> He went to Texas Tech, where my youngest daughter goes. But um, I want to talk a little bit about Verizon and their plans, and you want to talk about T-Mobile. So let me start with Verizon. So uh, it's no secret that Verizon's been very focused on its ultra-wideband rollout, which is based on millimeter wave. Um, it's also uh, no secret 
that they've been heavily investing and in building out uh, edge computing capabilities to sort of supercharge that overall experience. So what they're hoping is the Super Bowl is going to highlight that. Now, this year um, at uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium, they're only going to be at 25% capacity. So that, that equates to like 22,000 fans, I believe, um, compared to the last Super Bowl, that I think they had 62,000 uh, fans present that generated 26 terabytes of data. So, but what's going to be interesting about the Super Bowl this year, it's going to be a focus on, you know, not only, you know, enhancing the overall entertainment experience, but providing a safe, um, you know, experience for the fans. And so what I found interesting is that with, with that mobile edge compute and the combination of that ultra wideband 5G, they're going to be um, deploying applications that, do facial recognition for ticketing, thermal scans, obviously for temperature checks, and the ability for fans while they're in their seats to check wait times for restrooms and concession stands and that sort of thing. And, and obviously that's going to limit, you know, the, uh, the, 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 you know, the opportunity for people to be, you know, closer together and that sort of thing. And they'll also do some pretty innovative things, I think, with like camera views and that sort of thing that fans will be able to control on their smartphones in the stadium. But I think, you know, those are some really stellar, solid examples of, you know, 5G's capability with, you know, with that ultra low latency for those video intensive and, you know, you know, applications, as well as, you know, you know, the censoring activities and those sorts of things. So, but um, why don't you share with us what T-Mobile's got planned? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I've been following uh, the T-Mobile side of things, and it's been interesting because Neville, uh, the company's you know president of technologies, former CTO, uh, tweeted out a, a series of tweets about T-Mobile's deployment in the Tampa area, as well as the stadium itself. And what was really interesting is that uh, T-Mobile's actually rolling out their millimeter wave at 39 gigahertz, as well as their mid-band at 2.5, and they've got 600 megahertz. And wow. They didn't just cover the stadium, but in fact, they have a whole map of the Tampa, St. Petersburg, Clearwater area. Mm-hmm. And most of the highly populated areas are now covered with their 2.5 gigahertz midband. And then the rest is pretty much covered with 5G being 600 megahertz. Mm-hmm. I would say based on you know what I'm looking at the map here, you can check out the map online. Um, I would say about 70 to 80% of the areas being covered in 5G and the rest is LTE, um, but that's pretty good. And what's interesting is he tweeted out a picture of a speed test result, which everybody does nowadays. Um, but what's interesting is they got 1.6 gigahertz or 1.6 gigabits per second uh, and 10 millisecond ping, which, which means that they're obviously using millimeter wave, but yeah. you're also much less likely to see a huge drop off in performance once you leave that range. So you may leave that 1.6 gigabit per second at the stadium, but once you leave, you could still get five to 600 megabits on that, that 2.5 uh, band, maybe even more, because what's interesting is T-Mobile rolled out 80 megahertz of 2.5, which is an absolute colossal amount and yeah. could in theory deliver upwards of 1.2 or 1.3 um, gigabits per second, obviously the best case scenario. But realistically, I would expect 800, to meg to a, 800 megs to a gig, um, and that's not even on millimeter wave. So it'll be really interesting to see what kind of speeds are available in Tampa outside yeah. the stadium. Unfortunately, I'm not going, um, so I can't even go out there and test it. 
Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, people going out and testing it because uh, I believe most markets are 40 and 60. So 80 is a lot. It is. And, and, there, and, and so it sounds like T-Mobile is doing this without having to bring extra cows and goats yeah. and, you know, all, all of the all of the cute names they call these it's you know, their, portable. It's their ultra capacity band. So they've, yeah. you know, when you've got 80 megahertz of that stuff laying around, it's huge. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't really, you don't really have to worry about capacity as much. Right. Yeah, this would be killer. So, you know, Verizon and T-Mobile doing it out. I'm sure AT&T will be doing some things to, to improve, you know. Yeah, I haven't seen anything from them on the big game, but they usually send us something ahead of their big game. They do. Well, if we have any late-breaking news before <laughs> we post the, the podcast, we'll, we'll insert it in there. Well, hey, Angela, another great episode this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope you guys listen, enjoying listening to our podcast and found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us with insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Onshell Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.